Well, it is the top of the hour, and I'd like to welcome you all to Pit Stop, your fortnightly midweek rest area to refuel your drive. I'm Karen Cummins. I'm an audiobook narrator, and I'm the chief cartographer for narratorsroadmap.com, and I'm your host for Pit Stop. With me in the co-pilot seat is my lovely friend and award-winning audiobook narrator, Ann Flosnick, who hosts the Narrator Uplift show on Clubhouse. We missed you last time, Ann. I hope you had a great vacation. I did. Thank you. I missed you, too. <laughs> and I can't wait to hear all about it, but uh, that will be another conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. Every other Wednesday, audiobook narrators who have vocations beyond narration will pull into the pit stop, and they are sure to inspire you to follow all of your interests and use your talents and gifts. I want to let you know the conversation's being recorded, so you'll be able to re-listen or catch parts you missed. And feel free to comment in the chat and raise your hand in the app if you want to be part of the conversation, because we would love to, to hear from you. So thanks so much to everyone for joining us. I'm very excited today to welcome Terry Schnaubuck to Pit Stop. And I probably didn't say your name quite right, Terry, and I apologize for that. That's okay. <laughs> Terry is an award-winning narrator of over 400 titles in 10 years between her own name and her pseudonym, Lynn Barrington, who narrates explicit romance. Before going full-time as an audiobook narrator and VO on-camera actor, Terry spent 15 I'm sorry, 18 years as a freelance graphic designer and art director, and she's been self-employed now for 25 years. So welcome to Pit Stop, Terry. We are so thrilled to have you. And please say your name correctly for me. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for asking me. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's Schnaubelt. It's like Schnauzer, like you all heard of the dog breed Schnauzer, right? I, yeah, I had Schnauzers. And, okay. and I thought of, yeah. of this dur on the end, it's a belt. Schnaubelt. <laughs> I, I, I thought I had it up until the point I said it, and then I thought that didn't quite come out right. <laughs> That's okay. Join the I know you're, you're, you're used to it, and, and yeah. I, I do apologize, because I should have researched that ahead of time, as a good audiobook narrator would do. It's <laughs> quite all right. But, you know, I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you went that actually you've always had an interest in theater and art, but you went to school at the Savannah College of Art and Design in graphic design. Were you always drawing, like as a child, were you always drawing things? Um, yes, I was. And um, and then I was also acting out or acting. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe some of both. <laughs> I always say I've been acting out ever since I was born. But <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and, and I ended up listening to those adults who said, you'll never make a living as an actor and you'll never make a living as an artist. Right. People suggested, well, do something like graphic design. That's something you can, that's marketable. It's, you can get a job doing that. And I was like, okay. Um, and then, you know, I realized that I wasn't, I wasn't really happy sitting behind a computer, um, essentially talking to no one. And this was, you know, this was the time when people were like sharing cubicle walls, yet they were texting each other or calling each other on the phone rather than just like standing oh. up and leaning over the cubicle wall. I'm Crazy. like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, actually, I appreciated if people would text or call each other because having worked over half my life in Cubicleville, I didn't really want to hear everybody else's conversations. So yeah, I actually thought that was a pretty good thing, but it sounds like maybe you had the half-height walls instead of 
taller walls where you couldn't really stand and look over them. Uh, no, I had the, yeah, I had the full, like full height walls. So you'd have to like get up and, you know, yeah, if you were like in a four square kind of cubicle situation and you wanted to talk to the person who was like directly opposite you, you'd have to like get up and walk over, which is kind of a good thing in our sedentary lifestyles. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I can see how some people don't want those kind of interruptions, but I just, I like interacting with people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, if you, since you said you uh, grew up in the Chicago area, was it a big culture shock going to school in Savannah? Oh yeah, huge culture shock. I, you know, I'm just your average white middle-class suburban, you know, kid. And I went to a high school of 2000 kids and probably, um, you know, we had five African-Americans a handful of, you know, Indians, Asians, um, Hispanics, maybe a few more, but really it was extremely homogenous white suburban. So it was a culture shock for me in a good way, uh, obviously. (laughs) And um, yeah, it was entirely different. uh, And it was just great to be so far away from home that I couldn't just go home for the weekend. You know, it sort of forced me to acclimate, um, find my people and and just investigate. And what is this place like? What are these people like uh, that are so different from me? And yeah, it's interesting. Well, and you probably, if I had to guess, you either flew into Atlanta or Jacksonville. And if well, you... back then I drove. Oh, you drove. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, because. 18... If you drove from Atlanta to Savannah, you've spent any time on I-16, it's a wonder you're still alive because that's the most boring road in the country. And and I even fell asleep one time driving uh, that route. Well, I, I, I will admit this here, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> We're I all the years. Actually, <laughs> I may have actually read a book <laughs> while I was driving. What? That. I had it in the middle of my steering wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about distracted driving. Please do not do that. Please don't. Listen to an audiobook instead. That's yeah. right. <laughs> but that was, you know, maybe before audiobooks were readily so readily available. And yes, you I think so. Had to do something to stay awake. Right. So you you were working in graphic design and and doing various things in, in graphic design, I saw. I mean, you were um working on clients stuff and, and, but you also do your own art. I mean, I have been fascinated for the longest time with these paintings that you've done. I mean, it's just, they're just extraordinary. Yeah. I've always, my style of art that I've had an inclination toward is always just realism, hyper-realism. It's very tight, very laborious. Uh, I used to have a professor (laughs) that, um, his name was Laszlo Sakura, and I think he was Egyptian. And he was a short little guy, and he we had life draw. It was a life drawing class, which, if you know life drawing, that means a nude model. <gasps> so he had this like <laughs> that he would use to point to different things on the model, rather than going up there and pointing at a nude body. So he and we had these huge pads of paper, and he would come up to my paper and he would rap on it with this huge pointer stick, and he'd be like, "Draw faster, draw faster, draw faster," and I was like, "Ah." because I was so meticulous. Mm-hmm. But a, a newspaper article came out about this quote unquote master painter from France who is teaching this technique mixed uh, oil painting technique that was akin to the Renaissance masters. 
And I was like, that looks cool. I need to check that out. So I checked it out, took a um, two-week seminar on it, ended up going to France for six weeks at one point to learn, to really learn the technique. And it's just totally, totally my wheelhouse. And actually that's how I got introduced to audiobooks because of the laborious process of this painting technique, where you're literally working on these small areas, you know, like repetitively or just like very, you know, it's just extremely laborious and time consuming. So I started listening to audiobooks so I could engage my brain and my creative, you know, mind while I'm doing sort of a rote process. And that's where I just started listening to like all the classics. And I was going through, you know, uh, cassette tapes and CDs from the library, like no one's business. Mm. Yeah, those were the days when we had cassettes and then CDs and even keeping up with the order of them and and then God forbid that, you were, pro- that was laborious in itself. <laughs> right. And then it was horrible if you were missing a CD or one was like skipping and it wasn't working. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to tell the story. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I, I wondered, like, first, how you saw this class in France. And did, did you speak French then? And do you speak it now? I took uh, French. All, I started in middle school and all through high school. Um, I don't speak, I don't really K-pop, so I don't really speak much of it. And uh, so I could, you know, kind of barely converse. And the French people in smaller towns are are nicer, I would argue, than Parisians. Even the French don't call Parisians French. They call them Parisians. <laughs> and uh, so once they realized I was, you know, an English speaker, they would switch over to English as best they could to help me. But I would always make the attempt. <laughs> but, but, you so. know, even in Paris, I... Everybody we've ever met has been nice to us. And I think that oh, is because, A, we're nice to them, but also we make that attempt to speak I and think to you're... respect their culture and their language. And I think that goes a long way because there's not ever been anybody in my travels that I thought was really rude to me. Well, there was one person in a German restaurant, but that's a whole other story for another day. But but most of the time, I feel like if you make the effort and they realize that you're obviously not from here that they do try to make the effort back. Yeah, I think so. That's been my but, experience. But the but I looked up this where the school is, the Atelier Neo Medici, is I am I saying that right? Mm. That Atelier Neo Medici, yes. Me, okay. And and it's, it's obviously someplace I've never even heard of. And so <laughs> I, I did wonder how did you find that place? But it's interesting you said you saw a story in the paper. Yeah, so I saw the story in the paper that he was in the United States teaching at some local junior college. So that's where I started taking ops. Oh. And he, at the time, had was splitting his time like six months in America, six months in France, kind of a thing. Um, and he, you know, had like a, I think it was even an eight or ten week training class that he did in the south of France. But I'm like. You know, I graduated college by then. I'm like, I don't, you know, I have to work full time. I don't have the wherewithal to spend that much time in the south of France. But, you know, because it was so it was a lot of college students that was ta- that were taking his uh, his program out there. But I'm like, but I still want to do it. So I ended up going for six weeks instead of the full eight or ten, whatever it was. But it was really awesome. Wow! And Carrie Sandy just wrote in the chat that she was. Just scrolling through Audible's best of 2023 list released today and see that a book you did is on it, Wade in the Water. So congratulations. That's very exciting. 
Oh, awesome. Thank you. That is very exciting. If I had my applause box, I'd give you a round of applause. That, but I don't that, have it in here. That was we can, a, we can a book. give you one like this. Thank you. Yeah. That's a, um, a t that's a tough subject matter. Um, I play a somewhat unlikable white woman. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I don't want to give away the spoiler alert, but you know, it, it tackles some, you know, a tough time period in America. So, yeah. Well, and I want to go back to, so you were working as a freelance graphic designer and then you moved up, I, I guess you changed agencies or companies and, and you worked as an associate creative director, you worked as an art director. So you were in graphic design fields for looks like 20 years or more. And, mm -hmm. and I know you said you started listening to audio, <clears throat> started listening to audiobooks, but what made you make the switch and were you working full-time in graphic design and part-time in audiobooks? I mean, how did you even approach this and get started? Well, I was, so yeah, that's a kind of a funny story too. I was working, um, so as a freelance graphic designer, I was often on site as a quote-unquote permalancer. You know, I was uh, self-employed and being paid, you know, um, as a freelancer, but I was on site with working with employees. Oh, and, yes. And missing out on all the company benefits. Oh, well, that's okay, because I had my SEP or my self-employed 401k, and I was able, and I still am able to put way more money away tax-free um, or, you know, tax-deductible uh, than any employee was able to. Yeah, and we're going to come, that's a point I wanted to talk to you about, too, but we're not going to derail the train at this point. But so keep going. Right. So, you know, and just real quick, one of the arguments, the employees would be like, well, you know, how can you make a living being a freelancer? Like, you know, that's so unstable. And I said, well, but I have several clients. You have one employer. So when you when the, your employer tells you you're fired or you're laid off, you're out of work. I I have like a job ends on a Friday afternoon. I call my other four or five uh, clients and see who needs help. And I have work Monday morning. So, that's, but so you were, you were starting to, and that's that's an excellent point you've made. But you were starting to say that you were working as a freelance graphic designer before I oh, held yeah. your train of thought of about the the financial aspect of it. But yeah, then, then um, you know, how do you switch from that to actually performing audiobooks? Yes, thank you for putting me back on track. <laughs> um, so I would occasionally pick up the phone and have to page someone for something. And I, at a few of the places that I've worked, I've had people say, well, you have a really great voice. Like you should do voiceovers or something. And quite, fl quite frankly, they were all men, no offense men, but I always just felt like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> He's mm -hmm. just hitting on me. Mm -hmm. or you know, I kind of chalked it up to that. I didn't take it seriously. And then um, I knew someone who booked voiceover talent and he was like, no, you actually do have a great voice. He goes, have you ever thought about doing voiceover? So I'm like, well, no, what do I do? So, you know, so I looked into doing that. Um, I got a demo made. I got two demos made, actually, a commercial and what's called an industrial demo, which is like, you know, educational stuff. It's um, training videos, that type of stuff. Corporate narration. Yep. Corporate narration. Yeah. And then I just started submitting that to agents. And then when I started meeting agents in person, they liked my look. They're like, you have a really great look. We like your hair. You know, you're 
pretty, you're, you know, you're fit. We like your look. Have you th ever thought about doing on camera? And I'm like, well, yeah, like I did acting in high school. I loved it. But, you know, people told me I wouldn't make a living at it. So they're like, well, uh, I think you should do some on camera. I said, okay, how do I do that? They're like, take classes and workshops. So I took 28 classes and workshops within two and a half years because I was competing with, I don't know if all y'all have, you know, degrees in acting or theater, but I'm, I was then, you know, approaching 30 or in my thirties and I was competing with people who had degrees in acting. Mm -hmm. yep. So I realized that to get up to snuff, to be able to be competitive in the market, that's what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. So then as you know, I started acting and then a few years professionally acting, still doing uh, graphic design full-time and kind of acting part-time, a couple of friends of mine started doing audiobooks. And I was like, wait a minute, I've been listening to audiobooks for like, since I've been on cassette. So mm -hmm. what do I need to do? That's totally something I should do. And um, one of them was putting on a workshop at a local acting studio. And I took her one day workshop and it was about how to get started on ACX. And I got started. I was going to make five demos, you know, one in sci-fi, one in romance, one in, you know, <laughs> different genres. And my husband at the time was like, no, just put up like whatever you have. So I put up like two or three demos. And within 15 minutes, I had an author offering me a book deal. Wow. Royalty share. So before we all get too excited, it was royalty share. <laughs> still, still. Yeah. You know, so, that, to, to have that kind of fast reaction to yep. your effort is still something worthy and grateful to be grateful of. Yes, I am grateful. And thank thank goodness that was the time before the scams were, I guess, as rampant. Oh, yeah. Now. So I'm lucky and fortunate in that regard, too. Well, and you were talking about uh, on camera. And I just want to say, in all sincerity, you're very photogenic. You cannot take a bad picture. Oh, I, yes, I do. I just don't upload those. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you know, Gary had posted something. You, I guess you and he recently celebrated five years together. And there were all these gorgeous pictures of the two of you. And they, they all look like magazine shots. And they do. I mean, I'm totally sincere when I tell you this. And so I would think that the call for you to do on camera would be very high. So how did you, I mean, were you doing on camera and still doing graphic design? How did you manage, so I guess since you were kind of freelance in a lot of the cases, you didn't have to count your hours to people so much, like you could kind of slip away here or there to do things. Exactly. Um, and it was, you know, it was, there were some sticky situations where I was kind of like, ah, like, I know I need to get this work done, but I really want to do this project, this acting project. Um, but I was fortunate in that I think my employers trusted me to get the work done by the deadline. So whether I took it home and finished it the weekend or whatever, you know, I would I would always have a compromise like, OK, can I finish this up tomorrow or over the weekend and go to this acting thing today or, you know, whatever? Because I, there was one time when I actually got a call at 10 o'clock in the morning to come shoot that afternoon. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, but it was exciting and fun. And um, I when the pandemic hit, uh, you know, on camera pretty much stopped, obviously, for a while. And then right when it was kind of starting back up again, we were moving 
down to Texas. So I really kind of paused on camera for about three years. And I just recently, a couple months ago, got a new on-camera actor down here in Dallas. So I'm with the Mary oh. Collins Agency. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So it's like I'm starting back up again. I love it. It's fun. I just mm -hmm. did my first on-camera, you know, work last week, two weeks ago. Yeah. It's like wow, an adult. that's great. Yeah. You, you were talking a minute ago about the financial aspect of being a freelancer. And you are very financially astute. You did an excellent presentation this year at the Flock Conference, the Pink Flamingo Spring Conference on finances. And one thing I've wondered, and I, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, and if you don't want to answer this, don't, but I know you live in Prosper, Texas, and I couldn't help but wonder if a girl who's so financially astute as you chose that city because of its name. <laughs> I didn't. It just, it was kind of, uh, I don't know, serendipity. It called to you. Yes. I <laughs> because I, when I saw that, I thought, well, it figures that's where she would be. <laughs> and that's where I achieved my perfect 850 credit score on TransUnion. Woohoo! Yay! yay. Well, I mean, we, we, we say yay kind of flippantly, but that's really an achievement to be proud of that so few of us could even claim right now i can't even i have a chase account and they say they have a credit journey and mm -hmm. there's something screwed up about my account account that they cannot fix but it's supposed to show this to me and so i, I can't even get that through them but as i'm not needing it i don't worry about it but I, you know i heard you say that and i thought gosh i i don't think mine's ever been that i, I don't know anybody who's ever had a perfect score well, I mean, not, but you don't really need a perfect score. So it's just me no. being sort of obsessive and hyper-competitive. <laughs> no, really? Obsessive, hyper-competitive? Yeah. I never would have thought that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know how or when I got so financially savvy because I was never good at math. I'm still not good at math. Like practically failed algebra. Um, but somehow, You are good at math. Don't put that out to the universe that you're yeah, not you're good right. at it because you could not be good at you could not say that and have the evidence that you have to the contrary. Right. You are good at math. Thank you. Okay. I'm, yes, I'm getting better every day. <laughs> yes. And, and your math, uh, especially when it has a dollar sign in front of it, you're very, very good at it. <laughs> so when it, one of the things that I do is I watch my credit uh, care. I watch it via my credit reports. So, you know, you can go to annualcreditreport.com and this is where you can get your free credit reports. Um, and this is the only one that's that's like sanctioned or whatever by the government. Right. The official you don't have to pay to get your credit report. You do have to pay if you want to see your credit score. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you guys know what a FICO score, your credit score is, there's all kinds of different FICO scores and credit scores. So it's just what each one of these you know, has as their credit score. Right. And I, in fact, because of this thing with Chase and not being able to see this, I actually went to that site a couple of weeks ago and they have all three of the bureaus, but you can get them from all three, but they said, well, you might stagger them out, like get one now and get one a quarter from now, get one, the other one six months from now. If, you know, if you're not needing it for anything like a home loan or something, Right. Because otherwise, if you get them all at the same time, then it's a whole year before you could look for free at yeah, any of them. Yeah, one at a time. Well, so you at some point made the leap 
from graphic designer to full-time audiobook and on camera. Yes. But I'm assuming you're still painting on the side, hopefully for pleasure, or do you still do, do you do commissioned work? Um, I'd love to do commissioned work if anyone would like to hire me. Uh, <laughs> and her website is in the pin, pin link and you can see some of her work on her site. It's, it's just breathtaking. And, and some of it looks like photos. It's like, it's hard to believe that this was really painted. Well, and the nice thing is, is that, you know, if you see them in real life, it, there's a sort of a dimension to them that um, often photos don't have. Although now that we have all these photo apps on our phone, we're able to put more depth back into our photos. You know, a lot of times if you take a photo just with your phone camera, it can look a little flat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can use one of these great photo apps like Snapseed or even just your regular photo thing on your Apple computer, on your Apple phone, um, can give you lots of options to adjust it and, you know, bring out the saturation and bring up the shadows and things like that. So to really enhance it, but, um, that I feel like that's, you know, where my painting does, what my painting does is it kind of brings back that experience of seeing it in, in 3D in real life and gives some dimension to it. But yeah. Well, and speaking of photos, this kind of leads me around to the latest thing that you've been doing, which is becoming a Texas master naturalist. And in fact, I think I'm right in saying that by this time next week, you will be one. Is that right? Doesn't it end on the 14th? Yes, I have officially earned enough hours to uh, be certified as a Texas Master Naturalist. And so I'll get my certification, I think, next week at our class or next week at the uh, at our chapter meeting. And and what made me, and congratulations on that, because you. You, I remember the little video you did of the textbook, and it's just this <laughs> mammoth book. But what, what what made me think of this now is we, you were talking about the photographs and the, the realism of your paintings. You have taken some just incredible pictures of butterflies and flowers and the videos that you've taken. And we all got to watch the butterflies birth. I mean, it's just incredible. And so tell me about this part of your life because you said this seemed to happen right after you moved and when the pandemic started. So what brought you to this fork in the road, if you will? Yeah. Um, well, the thing about, you know, painting and drawing and then taking photos and videos is that it's all about observation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about just stopping what you're doing and just taking time to watch something, whether it's nature or watch the light play on a wall or whatever. It's just being present and, and watching, just, you know, watching what happens in life. So uh, before the pandemic actually started, Gary and I would take walks in the neighborhood and we walked past, past this STEM school in the neighborhood and it had a sign in front of a wildflower patch that said Monarch Way Station. And I said, what's that? That looks cool. I want to have a Monarch Way station, <laughs> as we do. So I, um, you know, I looked it up. I Googled it. And it's basically a, kind of a sanctuary for monarch butterflies. And I learned all about the monarch butterfly migration, which, if you don't know, is amazing because they migrate over generations. Mm. So it just, just a real quick uh 
basically the adult monarch butterflies overwinter in this little like 300 hectare area in Mexico in the mountains. Then those in the spring, those adults um, come through the eastern North American ones, come through Texas and lay eggs on milkweed. They're very particular. They lay oh. eggs on milkweed and then those adults die. The eggs um, break open. A caterpillar comes out and eats milkweed until for a couple weeks and then it creates a chrysalis and then a week and a half or two weeks after that it emerges as a butterfly and then it continues migrating north and it does this over three four even five generations they're discovering and then comes back down the last generation is um, in diapause meaning it doesn't reproduce it doesn't lay eggs and doesn't reproduce and it flies all the way back through texas to overwinter in mexico Wow. Isn't that crazy? So when you say five, three, four, five generations, what, what lifespan did, because I always thought butterflies were a very temporary creature. They are. So it can be like just a few weeks. I mean, they're, they can be an adult. I don't remember the stats exactly, but. Um, you didn't know you were going to be tested on this. Yeah. I <laughs> well, they're in their caterpillar stage. I think more than they're in their butterfly stage. Long, mm. longer time. So, you know, they're, they're like a, a caterpillar for a couple weeks. They're in their chrysalis for, you know, five days to two weeks. And then they're a butterfly for a few weeks and they mate, lay eggs and die. So the only one that lasts longer is the last generation that flies all the way back down to Mexico. So they don't reproduce because they store up all their energy and use that and um, for flying all the way down to Mexico and then flying back to Texas in the spring. Oh. Well, I'm assuming they're laying eggs in other places. Like maybe they fly into Texas, lay some eggs, fly somewhere else, lay some more eggs. Or is that? No, they basically fly up into Texas, um, oh. lay some, die. Then those caterpillars that become butterflies then continue further north um, and so they'll go, I don't know, like Mississippi, Missouri, uh, Virginia, maybe, and uh, lay eggs. And then those adults will die. And then the eggs become caterpillars. And then those caterpillars will transform into butterflies. And they'll continue moving north all the way up into the far oh. northeast and even into Canada. Oh. Yeah. So that's what I mean by generations. Like they keep uh, multiplying and dying and like they're leapfrogging essentially. <laughs> yeah. And they're still on the same directional path. That is so weird. Yeah. How do they, how do they find how to go back to Mexico? They've never been there. <laughs> they find, they literally have never been there. That generation that flies down there has never been there. And they seem to find the same 300 hectare. That's a small space area. Mm. Crazy. Mind boggling. Yeah. And so the monarch butterfly has been teetering on the sort of, uh, ex, you know, uh, endangered species list. Um, it's hard to measure, obviously, these little tiny butterflies. So they've been kind of on the edge. So there's been some movements on tried to restore their habitat, which has been lost like many other species due to farming and then due to development. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a big movement to bring it back. And then when I was moving to Texas, I found out that the monarch butterfly is the state insect. So I was like, oh, oh my it's God. meant to be. Wow. Oh. So I actually, um, I'm in a master planned community. And if you don't know what that is, it's a community of like thousands of homes. I think there's going to be 3,200 homes when it's finished. Mm -hmm. And there are two grade schools within the community 
Um, there's over 550 acres of green space with pads and things like that. We have, you know, amenity centers where we have a workout area, pools. We have a crystal lagoon that's basically a swimming pool that's five acres. And we have all these things. And I'm like, well, but what are you doing for, like, to conserve? <laughs> you know, what are, you, what are your conservation efforts? And, you know, what are you doing, like, to preserve the wildlife and the ecosystem here? And like, what are you doing for the monarch butterflies? And they're like, well, what is that? What, you know, so. It's so concerned. Said, what, what are you even talking about? This is Texas, honey. I know. <laughs> it's Texas. Um, but the thing with Texas is that unlike most other states, 95% of the land in Texas is privately owned. So if we all say, well, nature doesn't belong here, it belongs in the state parks and the national parks. Well, I mean, come on. You really think that all the wildlife and insects and birds and plants can live on 5% of the land in Texas? Mm. <laughs> well, and it's not like they even know that that's where they're supposed to be. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> For migrations. Yeah, so it's really silly when people actually stop and think about it for a moment. So really what we need to do is we need to live with nature. We need to figure out how we can compromise and and have beautiful pollinator gardens in our front yards even with an HOA, you know, and yeah. and have these things in our spaces. And so what I did is I was talking to the community managers here and I was able to present to them about um, the monarch butterflies, about our ecosystem and our eco-region of Texas. We are in the Blackland Prairie eco-region and about how it's important and, and we need to do some things. And it's pretty simple what we can do. And so I got a, um, a grant from the Native Plant Society of Texas to create a monarch butterfly way station, if you will, garden um, at the community center. And it's it's working very well. There were over 50 monarchs there a few weeks ago. So it's mm. working. Oh, I bet that was beautiful. And we even had my neighbor down the street is also a you know gardener and a native plant person and monarch butterfly person too. And she found a roosting site. So monarchs on their way back to Mexico in the fall will stop at Texas and they'll they'll feed on nectar on flowers, you know, all day long storing up their energy. And then at night, they'll kind of gather in groups on branches of trees. And they don't really go to sleep, but they just kind of rest. And they'll group together. And she found a spot in the trees right behind her house where they were resting. Mm. And I did 72 there. Oh, oh my goodness. It's amazing. Mm. But your passion seems to be with the butterflies, but yet the Texas Master Naturalist Program extends far beyond that it's with the plants and I right. guess everything, everything that would be part of nature. Because here's what I learned. Everything is connected. Mm -hmm. So in order to have these butterflies, you need to have milkweed because that's the only plant they lay their eggs on. And not just any milkweed, they need the native milkweed that has been growing here for millennia, oh. right? And then I started learning that, okay, and then the caterpillars, they only eat that milkweed. So, and then like there are birds that depend on caterpillars for feeding their young. Like it's great to put out bird feeders, but adult birds don't feed their baby birds your bird seed. 
<laughs> they feed them caterpillars and other bugs. So gardening for butterflies is also actually gardening for caterpillars and gardening with native plants. So what are native plants? So you, I started going down this you know, ecological rabbit hole and found out that everything is connected. So that's when I'm like, oh, okay. So now I need to know more about, you know, watersheds and um, the geology of Texas and the soils, you know, like the, the soil ecology and what, how to have healthy soil and the bacteria and the fungi that are in the soil and how that all relates. And it's just amazing. So I'm like, oh, everything's connected. So now I want to learn about everything. <laughs> Tamara Warner in the chat said she's also in Texas. And Rosemary Klein says she loves this conversation, that she has a pollinator garden for butterflies and hummingbirds, and the monarchs love their beaches and they roost there by the hundreds. I'm not sure where Rosemary is. Oh, that's awesome. Rosemary, are you in the south of Texas? And, and Barbara Hensley also is in Texas, by the way. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so the Texas Master Naturalist program is fantastic. And I actually, before I got introduced to that, I, I got introduced to the Native Plant Society of Texas. So if you enjoy plants and flowers and planting for butterflies um, and hummingbirds and other species, I highly recommend you get involved with your Native Plant Society. There's one in every state. There's also a, a Master Naturalist program in every state. Um, and they have classes that you can take virtually and learn about the native species, the native plants that are in your community, you know, in your eco, what is your eco region? <laughs> and I'm not talking zone, because if you look at the state of Texas, zone eight, you know, if you go to the nursery and you see this is great for zone eight. Well, zone eight goes all the way from the west desert of, you know, Texas to the east, moist, you know, high rainfall, like 50 some inches of rainfall a year wet conditions of East Texas. Well, obviously, you know, you can't grow, it's going to be hard to grow a cacti, a cactus in, you know, a moist, wet condition and vice versa. So you have to learn your eco region, not just your zone. Yeah, that's very true. I know when I've ordered irises from Washington and they have, but they just have different zones, like across, I guess, latitudes. You know, so certain parts of the country, like north is this and middle is this. It's like just a wide swath all the way across the country, even though the soil would vary right. in close proximity. And Rosemary says, by the way, no, she's in the Hamptons in eastern Long Island. So oh. <laughs> uh, totally uh, part of their migratory chain, I suppose, but not. Yeah. Not nearby. Well, Anne, when you moved, you got into gardening, but you haven't uh, quite taken to it like Terry. Has. Oh, heck, who could? <laughs> <laughs> There's not enough hours in the day to be Terry. <laughs> I, I really am in awe of all that you do at the very highest levels. You do not dabble, and you, you're no dilettante. You are a master at everything you do, Terry, and I just take my hat off to you. Oh, thank you. Well, I try. I just feel like, you know, I've always been one of those people. And this is why one of the reasons why audiobooks and, you know, that I get paid to read for a living is so awesome is I've always been the kind of person who walks into a library and thinks, oh, my gosh, I would be so smart and so like, you know, well-rounded if I could read every single book in this library. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone else ever thought that? I mean, maybe I'm just the crazy one, but I, I have a 
thirst, I guess, for, Mm -hmm. I guess, for learning. And I think that's, I think that's key for, you know, staying young, uh, staying vibrant, um, hopefully staving off, you know, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's and some of those things. Mm-hmm. But I just, I just have a quest for learning and I'm, I'm just curious about things and it's fun. <laughs> Were your family like that, Terry, or are you a unicorn? Are you unique in this? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my grandparents were really avid gardeners. Um, I remember my stepmother being, she was a really big vegetable gardener, which I don't, <laughs> the only edible things I grow in my garden are like herbs like rue, dill, parsley, and fennel. And I only grow those for the caterpillars that turn into oh. butterflies. <laughs> so I encourage anyone who grows food type stuff in their garden and flicks off those worms or caterpillars or whatever maybe consider growing one for you, two for them, or one for you, one for them kind of a thing. Because you'll be amazed once you start finding out what these little caterpillars turn into. And an app that I could recommend to all of you is iNaturalist. So the letter I, naturalist, Uh um, is an app where you can upload a picture of an insect, a plant, um, even like uh, like footprints of an animal. You're like, wait, is that a bobcat? You know, what is that? You can even upload that kind of a thing and it'll be suggestions. And you can look at the pictures of the thing that it suggests like, oh, this caterpillar is going to be the white lined sphinx moth. And you're like, what is that? So then you flip through the pictures and you're like, that does look like my caterpillar. So you click that and then people will come along in 24 hours or 48 hours and either agree with you or they'll suggest something else. Mm. I even read about one person who was in Vegas taking pictures of flowers in the hotel. <laughs> right? Oh, God. <laughs> not naming names. But. <laughs> and so for anyone who has children, there's a kid's version, if your kids are like 14 or under, called Seek, S-E-E-K, by iNaturalist. So that way their identity is kind of hidden and it's safe for them to, you know, take that and just... Do that. So I just take my phone on my walks and I'm like, oh, what is that? And I've mm-hmm. spotted butterflies and I've spotted all kinds of, you know, different plants that I'm learning about. So, yeah. So that's why, like, that's how I kind of got uh, started, like, discovering, like, what plants to plant. So I saw this black butterfly float, flitting around outside of my yard, like, uh, just past the fence. And I'm Googling, like, black butterflies in North Texas. Mm-hmm. And... And, you know, what are their host plants? What are the plants that those butterflies will only lay their eggs on? And then so I started um, just getting those plants in my garden. And I'm telling you people, if you plant it, they will come. But only if you don't use pesticides and herbicides and if they're still here. (laughs) In other words, if you haven't driven them to extinction. I had some black butterflies. I had some black butterflies in my garden, and I thought, "Oh my goodness, is that a harbinger of something awful?" But it isn't. It's quite the reverse. And they're supposed to be, you know, not to sound too woo-woo, but that is a a spiritual sign. Yes, Um, we just had. uh, Is it Dia de la Muertes? I'm not a Spanish speaker. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So that occurs in Mexico, and that occurs Mm -hmm. when the monarchs are migrating through. So a lot of people will put flowers on graves and the monarchs would go nectar up at those flowers. And so they believed that those butterflies were the spirits of the loved ones that they've lost. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yes. 
and they're communicating with you when they when they come into your garden. Yeah, right, right. So I don't know that I've ever seen one a black butterfly. Ah, yeah. Look up the eastern blacks. Well, you've seen them on my videos and pictures. Well, I've seen yours. I mean, one real, you know, in front of me. (laughs) Well, Karen, you need to Google uh, (laughs) butterflies to your area and go down that rabbit hole of seeing what plants do they like? What are their host plants and what are their nectar plants? And then don't spray them with pesticides because otherwise you're just leading them to their deaths. Yes. Yeah, that's one thing about your your pictures and your videos and all the things that you've posted. It does educate the rest of us and make us more interested and excited about, well, maybe I could have that kind of thing at my house too. You can, because here's what I discovered. Within 30 days of planting just a handful of flowering plants that are native to our area, I attracted, I was able to document seven different species of butterflies. 30 days. And then within the past two summers, I've documented and officially identified over 23 or 24 species of butterflies. Mm. And I've had, um, as far as the caterpillars making their, you know, uh, the, the butterflies laying their eggs, caterpillars eating, and then making their chrysalis and turning into butterflies, that's been like the black swallowtail, giant swallowtail, monarch butterfly, queen butterfly, at least. So at least four different kinds of butterflies. Mm. So it's really that easy. It's amazing, right? But yeah. I do wonder, how do you divide your time? Because if you're <laughs> narrating a book, you can't be out and shooting pictures or learning about plants or anything else. Well, uh, this year, my narrating has uh, been pretty light. My book load has been pretty light. So uh, I don't know if it's AI coming to get my job or if it's just that there's that many more narrators who are fantastic at what they do. Kudos to all of you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, my work has been kind of light. Uh, It's been a little scary at times. But um, and, you know, and I think that's being a master naturalist and, and butterfly gardening and all that has really helped me sort of take my focus off of myself and my anxiety over like chasing the dollar Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like, you know, uh, give me some sanity and some other purpose in life. Like, yes, I love audiobook narration and I hope I can do it for the next 15 years, but, um, but I, I don't want to stress about it all the time. And this gives me a channel for that for, you know, getting, getting out of the booth, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Well, and as great as audiobook narration is, it's a thing. It's not the only thing. Exactly. And, and you're, you're talking about taking pictures and being curious, like, oh, what is that? What is that? Reminds me of a workshop that I took from Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And Mm -hmm. she, and she wrote uh, the big, oh, what's it called? Big Book of Magic, or I forget exact title, but it's all about creativity and that's what the workshop was about. And the, the basic thing that she said was to follow your curiosity, because that's going to lead you to a more creative life. And, and fulfilling life. Yeah, for sure. And, and fulfilling and rich and, and rewarding. And, and I get all that from the passion that you have for the butterflies and then all the, uh, the plants and making things better for nature, which makes it better for all of us. Right. Because again, everything is connected. So Mm -hmm. think of it in in these terms, like plants 
are really the only you know thing that can take sunlight and turn it into food mm-hmm. and then insects are the things that eat the plants so so we eat plants too but insects um basically as human beings we either eat plants or we eat the animals that eat the plants or mm-hmm. eat the things that eat the plants so it all comes down to plants so if the plants if we're if we're trying to get rid of the plants and we're just having bermuda grass every everywhere <laughs> we're mm-hmm. seriously doing ourselves a huge disservice and insects are the little things that run the entire world so the insects <laughs> feed on the plants and then other things feed on the insects and on up the chain. So it's not a food, it's not necessarily as much of a food chain as it is a food web. And once you start to take a piece out of that, then it can have a domino effect because again, everything's connected. So you take like chipmunks out and then you're now reducing the food source of like six different species, right? So Mm -hmm. like, for example, um, bobcats, we have bobcats and coyotes here. They are in our neighborhoods and that's okay. They're supposed to be here. They're doing us a service. They're getting the mice, the rats, they're keeping the rabbit control under population. So if they, if those food sources, if we all poison the rats and the mice and poison the rabbits and get rid of them, now there's no food source. There's nature abhors a vacuum. So now there's no food source. So now they're going to come after your food or your, or, you know, your DoorDash. There's a, um, there's a story I I recently learned from one of the Texas Parks and Wildlife urban biologists is that during the pandemic, uh, three coyotes got adapted to DoorDash. Oh. They basically got to know that this certain um, house got DoorDash all the time. So it was like a food dispensary. This house is oh, a food dispensary. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so there well, was, you open the door expecting to see I the know, delivery right? person and hello, Wiley Coyote. Right. So <laughs> And so these coyotes coming and grabbing the food. Oh, my gosh. They're from. Well, one day, their little, like, I think two-year-old and five-year-old kid went out the front door. And the two-year-old got attacked by a coyote because the coyote saw that front porch as a food dispensary. And a two-year-old is a lot like, you know, uh, know, a good meal to them. Yes. Yeah. So they adapted. I mean, it's amazing that they were smart enough to adapt to it. But also scary. And also we re- need to realize, you know, that they can adapt and will adapt if we take away their food sources. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy. And, and before you get away, I've got a couple questions more that I've got to ask you. One is what I like to call the pit stop hot seat. And it's one you're not expecting. But since everything is connected and you're very passionate about nature, I'd like to know, if you had to hide a giraffe from the government, where would you hide it and why? Ooh, that's a good one. And you're a creative person, too, so I know you're up to the challenge. (laughs) (laughs) How tall are giraffes? (laughs) I think they're bigger than butterflies. (laughs) Uh, I might hide it in some of the natural spaces that we have that are really wooded. I don't know if those trees are tall enough. If not, I might hide it in between some of the neighbors' houses. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything's bigger in Texas, it would just blend right in, wouldn't it? As we have such really big, <laughs> yes, it's kind of. A- <laughs> <laughs> and there are several comments in the chat that um, 
and and Mary Castillo gave me it was Big Magic was the name of Elizabeth Gilbert's book that I was trying to think of, and I put a link in the chat. But Tamara Warner says she has black butterflies, among others. The previous owner of my home was a botanist and owned an ecological conservatory. He left me a lot of documentation on the flora, fauna, and insects and the wild animals on the property in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, too. She's a farm girl, she says. So it sounds like you two probably need to talk. (laughs) Yeah, connect with me on social media. And in fact, she says this weekend there was a red fox and young coyote in the street watching some children play at a party, hoping they would leave food unattended. We have to respect nature. So you you two are both singing off the same page in the same book. Mm. And um, But one, one thing I, I and I, I do want to be respectful of your time, but uh, one thing I always like to ask people is, is there, what advice could you share with other people who want to expand their horizon beyond narration? Um, what are you curious in? Like, what are you curious about and what interests you? It doesn't matter if it needs to be something that's going to make you money necessarily, unless, you know, you really need something that, you know, can help you make ends meet. But if you're lucky enough to have the ability to pursue something really kind of regardless of whether it pays you or not, what would that be? You know, and I, and I think just taking a walk and, and getting lost in your own thoughts is helpful. Don't, I'm actually advocating, don't listen to an audiobook. Just <laughs> home with your thoughts. <laughs> it's almost blasphemy, but we'll let that yeah. one go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what, what interests you? And, you know, like you said about um, that book, that you follow your curiosities. Because you never know where it might lead. And what's coming up for you beyond your graduation next week? So what happens then? Are you, do you go out and help other people? What will become of this program? Yes. Yeah, so the Texas Master Naturalist Program is um, it, the whole idea is to part it. They partner with uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife and the uh, Texas A&M University AgriLife Extension in order to train well-informed volunteers to help with conservation efforts. Um, I can help at some of the state parks. Um, I can do, I can get credit essentially for some of the ecological things that I do in my own neighborhood. And, you know, like I taught a butterfly class last spring. If I teach another one this spring or even this fall yet, I'll get, you know, sort of credit for that. And it will all help towards the state's um, ecological initiatives. You know, I there are projects, there are sanctioned projects that our chapter does and that uh, lots of other chapters have where I can volunteer my time, you know, helping restore Blackland prairies, uh, cleaning up, you know, lake shores or river areas, um, teaching classes, helping judge uh, art competitions that are, you know, about nature and really anything that has to do with any aspect of nature, whether it be cleaning up waterways, um, all all kinds of things. Like when I use iNaturalist, I'm actually contributing to citizen science. So I'm helping scientists know where species are at certain times of the year and how many are out there, what is their widespread locations, um, and just 
things like that. So I can create my own events, my own projects, and I can also volunteer on other projects and at state parks and things like that. And I'm thinking your new knowledge would be something that you could put into play. You could, and probably already are, contacting authors who've written books that, you know, you could put into audio and then have this extra knowledge to draw on. I mean, there's got to be. I did contact, I think, one publisher. I forget what the book was, but I ran across a book that was recommended. And I'm like, oh, it's not an audio. And, oh, it's written by a female, which is unusual because a lot of scientists and, you know, especially entomologists and so forth are men still. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, you know, nice to narrate books by women, especially if it's, you know, nonfiction and you're, you know, using I all the time. So, right. yeah. So I need, I need to do some more of that. Mm. Well, the people in the chat have been loving the conversation and Barbara Hensley said, it's been awesome. And Terry, you are an inspiration and you truly are. I mean, you, yeah. you've made me want to go out and do, I don't garden. I mean, I don't even do that. So <laughs> you, you kind of made me want to at least plant something. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And thank you, Barbara and everyone else. So, yeah, well, that's, that's kind of what I hope to do. And honestly, it can get a little depressing because I, I have been learning so much that I'm like, oh my gosh, so much work needs to be done and so many things are broken and we humans are wreaking such havoc. And, you know, this is apparently, scientists are saying the sixth mass extinction on the planet and it's caused by humans. And so it can get overwhelming and depressing, but I come back to, you know, if I can make a difference in just, you know, a few people's lives and just plant the seed, if you will, yeah. or change in a positive way, then then I'm I'm doing then I'm making then I'm doing something right. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I sometimes have to tell myself like, if not me, who? If not when, mm-hmm. I mean if not now, when? Yeah. And another thing that resonates with me, even though I don't have children, is uh, I think it's a Native American proverb. Someone said that we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. Mm. Oh, that's profound. Right? So, I mean, we have an obligation. It's not just, oh, let's do fun things like plant for pollinators and plant for butterflies. No, we have an obligation to continue to give um, natural species a place. I mean, we're, we're taking their places away to to what end yeah and you have no idea of your power and the lives that you've touched today and over all these months and years that you've been posting all of this on social media terry so oh thank you it's true it is true in fact barbara hensley said she downloaded iNaturalist and she's always finding things and one in nature wondering what they are and now she can educate herself so You've already yeah. been making change just while we've been talking. Yes. It's great. And I encourage, if anyone wants to know more, um, someone to look up for, uh, get some of his books and look at some of his YouTube uh, talks is Doug Tallamy, T-A-L-L-A-M-Y. Um, there are several books that he wrote. In fact, you can get them on audiobook. And our friend Adam <laughs> Carr has narrated some of them. Oh, hmm. Nature's Best Hope and The Nature of Oaks are two of Doug Talmy's books. He's an entomologist and ecologist. 
And he has an initiative called Homegrown National Park. So I encourage everyone to go down that rabbit hole and make your own homegrown national park mm. in your yard. Well, that sounds like a uh, perfect ending note for this very <laughs> wonderful and exciting pit stop. It's, But sadly, it's uh, now time for everyone to get back on the road. So we're going to conclude today's pit stop. The recording will be available on Clubhouse later today and in the near future, probably sometime next week. I'll post it with a transcript and links on narratorsroadmap.com. And Pit Stop, I'm thrilled to say, is also available in your favorite podcast platform, including Apple and Audible. And who is coming up tomorrow on Narrator Uplift? Tomorrow I have audiobook royalty with Kate Redding and Michael Kramer. Ooh. <laughs> well, that will be a fun talk. Yeah, yeah. So th they've got some things they want to um, share with us and we'll hear their journey and I'm um, very excited about it. Terry, do you have anything you want to plug or any final words? And how should people contact you? I've got your website in the pin link. Yes. Um, so you can contact me through my website, www.terryschnaubelt.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram. Um, I, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter, X, whatever it's called. I don't really. <laughs> it's Twitter. Up. It will always be Twitter. <laughs> Just like the Rose <laughs> by we'll any name. First hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah contact me if you want to know more about being a master naturalist gardening for butterflies native plants any of the above and I encourage everybody to follow you on Facebook and yes. then they will be able to see you know all of these wonderful things that you've documented over time yes it's, it's just mind expanding it's beautiful Great. And we didn't even get to talk about what camera you're using for all of this. I mean, we could have had an hour-long conversation just on that, probably. It's just my iPhone 11 Pro for the most really? part. Yeah. Because they're so tack sharp and so close. It's just really, like I say, breathtaking is the word that comes to mind. They're just beautiful. Thank you. Well, I want to alert everybody we're not going to have a pit stop during thanksgiving week and i hope you all have a wonderful thanksgiving and i hope you'll take another road trip with us with us on december 6th when we're going to talk with gina rogers who's an audiobook narrator a dance instructor and a sculptor of miniature clay objects in the meantime i hope you find joy in every journey and live the life of your dreams Thanks again to Terry Schnellbelt for this terrific conversation. Maybe I got your name right finally at last. <laughs> and thanks always to Ann Flosnick for your support and to all of you for spending time with us this afternoon. I hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you soon. Mm -hmm.